Hey everybody, you're listening to the Jimmy's Table podcast, jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey, where I like to have conversations about faith, life, culture, and sometimes food. Today is episode 17, where I'm going to talk about the good old days. Yeah, you remember the good old days, don't you? You remember them quite well, I would even imagine. Uh, <laughs> but you know, in truth, I don't think we, when we think about the good old days, we, we think about them and we remember them as such. But if we were to really go digging through our past, uh, we would find that maybe the good old days were really not as good as we have imagined them to be with emphasis there on imagine. <laughs> Uh, definition of nostalgia. I think it's worth looking at. I looked at that uh, as I was preparing for today's show. And it says in Google's uh, dictionary, which I think is tied to Webster's. But, you know, I typed it on Google and Google told me the answer. So who cares if it's Webster's or some random other dictionary uh, urbandictionary.com. <laughs> Maybe I should have done the urbandictionary.com definition of nostalgia. Uh, but anyway, so, because sometimes those things can come out weird, I'm just going to stick with what Google gave me because Google, well, you know, they do nothing but tell the gods honest truth. But anyway, definition of nostalgia. A sentimental longing or wishful affection for the past, typically for a period or place with happy personal associations. So when you think about the good old days, well, you're getting into nostalgia. You're getting into that sentimental dwelling and thinking of the past. And I think most of us, especially those of us who grew up in pretty nice, well-adjusted households, that if we were to do an exercise where we close our eyes and silence our hearts and our minds and, and we thought about the past, we'd probably arrive at a very specific time in, in our childhood. Or maybe if you're uh, significantly older than I am, I'm 37. So let's imagine you're in your 60s or 70s and you're listening to this show um, and you think, well, when I close my eyes, I think of my 20s or 30s. Whatever place you end up when you decide to, to hop on the time train of uh, skipping back to the past to think of those sentimental, wishful periods of your life. Whatever it is. Think about it for a moment. Do this exercise. What do you think of? Well, if I were to think about the nostalgic past, I would probably think about the times when I was about, I don't know, 10 to 12, 13 years old. You know, it was pretty cool. Moved into a new neighborhood and met some friends right away. Became pretty close friends. Uh, played lots of outdoor activities with those friends. We, we, uh, were in a neighborhood that was just being built. And so the house across the street had not even been framed yet. And they just had a big dirt pile out there full of rocks. And, and me and my new neighborhood friends, when we moved into the, when I moved into this neighborhood, we got together and, and we just went to that big pile of rocks. And well, for laughs and giggles, we started throwing them at each other. Uh, as boys will be boys. And never mind, there were glass beer bottles and all that sort of fun stuff all over this uh, site. But hey, you know, that's what we did because 
Uh, we are just being kids and we are having fun. Uh, and I think about all the fun and all the sleepovers and all the adventures I had when I was that age. Um, and all the cool times. And I think about that like, man, those were the good old days. When times were pure, when times were innocent, when things just seemed to be their absolute best. Uh, and times we think for be like, man, if I had to pick any time to go back in time to, uh, that would be the time I would go back. Um, I'd be curious about what time you picked, uh, and why you picked it. And if you're interested, just, you know, give me a shout out, Jimmy at Jimmy's table.com, or you can reach me on Facebook or Twitter or through the Jimmy's table, uh, com website. But let me know what, 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 when you think of the good old times, what were those times? Um, and, and we, we, we all think of those times and they mean a lot to us and we cherish them. We hold on to them. Uh, and they're just part of who we are as people. They define us. Um, they, they shape our, our future. They shaped our past. They, they shaped everything that we are to get where we are today. And I think when you, when, when you think about nostalgia and you think about those moments, and your life. That's why when you tap into Hollywood and you think of movies like Field of Dreams or or The Sandlot or It's a Wonderful Life, you know those those movies all harken us back to those good old days sort of times that we have, uh, and and we think about them and they and we can relate to them. You know, Sandlot, we, we can sit back. I can relate to a movie like The Sandlot where just a bunch of boys getting together, playing baseball, and having adventures. I don't necessarily relate to Field of Dreams as much, but, you know, as a kid, I was a pretty big baseball fan, and I think of a movie like Field of Dreams, and, you know, it makes me think about the, the, the nostalgia of uh, a century of baseball and all that went into it before. Uh, back when the game used to be pure and it wasn't this big commercial endeavor and it was just a bunch of guys playing ball with their friends uh, having a good time. Um, you know, movies like that we relate to. We, we think of a wonderful life and, you know, the, the warm sense of family that it brings and the holidays. And, you know, even though we know such movies uh, have a lot of... Uh, just sappiness about them. We, we, we tend to suspend our minds in disbelief and just allow all the, the sappy, sentimental, sort of wishful affections for, for the past just to kind of to roll over us. And, and that's why movies like that uh, continue to endure decade after decade after decade and continue to make uh, an impression on generation after generation movies like that they just they sit with us and you have like all the the great world war ii movies out there you have movies like saving private ryan you uh and and whatnot where where we like almost start developing these national sentimental feelings these like mythological things about how great our soldiers are how great and pure our nation is um, and that everything we do is just grand and glorious. And man, just look at what a, uh, awesome period of, of everything that preceded us. Uh, look, look at all that shaped us into 
being how we got here, not only as individuals through movies like Field of Dreams and Sandlot, but, you know, movies like World War II movies like uh, Saving Private Ryan and things like that. They just they remind us of the greatest generation and how America is just this great, fantastic place. And, you know, we know we have problems and, and that sort of thing. But, man, if we could just get back to what those guys were made of, to, to be the type of people who would do the things that they did, uh, then we would be great uh, just like they were great. Um, and that's where we, we, we just bleed this stuff. We, 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 we soak it up like sponges and we love it. Um, and you know, I, I think it continues on not only in, um, movies like that, but I think, you know, we see it in other movies that kind of are more recent that try to, to sell us. Uh, or cash in on sentimentality. Like, look at uh, Stranger Things on Netflix. Stranger Things is this great, awesome sci-fi movie and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, I can't help but wonder, would Stranger Things be as awesome as it is to us today if it didn't also show us signs of Ghostbusters and vampire movies and terminators and aliens and et and all those sort of things would it captivate us as much as it does um and garnish all the attention it does if it were not for the the heavy um references to all the things that made the 80s great or what about movies uh recently like the Disney remakes of uh, all the, the great Disney movies that are being remade recently, like, you know, The Lion King or Beauty and the Beast or Aladdin. And, you know, they're rolling out with some others in the near future. Uh, we, we, we love these remakes because they, they remind us of the time in which Disney made great movies that impacted us and shaped us. Uh, who wasn't touched when, <laughs> you know... Uh, and, and the original Lion King by the awesome soundtrack that Elton John and all those folks put together. Um, who, who didn't love, uh, some Pumbaa and Maton, Timon and, uh, who, who wasn't, who didn't ball their eyes out when Mufasa was thrown off a cliff, uh, right in front of his son, you know. Who wasn't touched by these things, you know? So we, we, we see the Disney remakes coming out and we're just like, man, I just want to go back and watch those movies. And even though I know I'm seeing something different today, that thing that I'm seeing today is going to allow me to connect with the things of my past. Um, and so we like these Disney movies or, you know, maybe we find out, well, you know, these Disney movies aren't so great. Some of them, you know, like I just saw The Lion King. And personally, uh, I was a little upset over it. You know, it didn't have uh, all the things that I think make a great Disney movie great. Um, it didn't have the uh, anthropomorphic sort of characters that you have in movies like the Disney makes, you know, they, they don't just draw a lion or a wildebeest. They draw a lion and a wildebeest with a great smile and big, creative, doughy sort of eyes. Um, that's why, you know, we could relate to Bambi and Thumper and everybody uh, that has come since 
uh, those times and all those Disney movies. But you know, <laughs> Disney, you know, for for all their uh, remakes, <laughs> they're kind of quickly running out of material. Um, you know, we've already seen a lot of the great Disney remakes of the great Disney movies. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, Aladdin, uh, things like that. But I think the veil is starting to kind of come off on this entire nostalgia trip that we're experiencing with the Disney movies. Um, and we're starting to realize, hey, <laughs> you know, maybe these Disney movies, uh, as great as we remember them, Disney, you know, had some great movies, but they're not as... Disney didn't make as many great movies as we think Disney made. Uh, we remember the few and the far in between, um, but we also don't remember a lot of the the total flops that Disney also published. But we remember the great ones, and and because of it, we think of Disney uh, as this great magical company. When we when we think of Disney, we think about all the warm sentimental feelings that they imparted to us as they told stories that you know shaped uh some of our lives um movies that they have used to sell us toys and action figures and and coloring books and video games and uh sequels and prequels <laughs> you know only as movie studios uh happen to do um, and you know, maybe that's the, the thing about, uh, if I could just go on a little rant here, maybe that's the thing, uh, Disney really, and all these other, not just Disney, but other companies as well, do so well, is they, they make a smash hit, and they realize smash hits are far and few in between, and they really have a lot of flops most of the time, um, but it's those smash hits that, uh, permit them to go ahead and make a sequel or a prequel because the, you know at the end of the day a sequel or a prequel it's all just a trip off nostalgia at the end of the day we want to go back to that time that that first high that we had um that emotional high that we had and that bond that we had with that film um and that's why you can have something like a frozen 2 uh which is coming out in the i think this this winter uh you know, Frozen was such a smashing success there. You're just like, man, kids are still singing that awful let it go, let it go song. Uh, and Disney's like, no, we're not going to let it go. We're going to cash in on this sucker. Uh, and so Disney's, you know, coming out with a Frozen 2. Uh, and, and that's all, again, just an attempt to cash in on nostalgia. Because I don't know if Frozen 2 is going to be good or not. It could be good. It could be bad. Um, like most sequels, most sequels tend not to, to live up to, uh, the original, but that's not going to stop us from going to see the second or the third or the fourth installments should they come out. Because at the end of the day, even if those movies end up being a flop, part of us just feels like in our human hearts and our psyche that we would just be incomplete, uh, if we didn't see the sequels. So that's why we saw, uh, movies like Speed 2. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody needed Speed 2. Speed 1 uh, with Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock was more than enough of a great movie in and of itself. It was very entertaining and very captivating. But that was the story. There, needed, there didn't need to be a Speed 2. There was no uh, second story that needed to be told about Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock uh, and they're driving down uh, L.A. 
freeway on a bus loaded with a bomb. <laughs> you know, we didn't need a second one of that. Uh, and just like that, you know, maybe we didn't need uh, a second Bill and Ted or, um, you know, a second Shrek or, you know, second of all sorts of other movies that have come. A second Superman, uh, you know. But uh, it's it's that nostalgia that compels people to say, hey, I'd be willing to see a second or a third one. And, and just look at Star Wars, for example. Uh, they this, Star Wars is a nostalgia cashing machine. We all remember when Darth Vader told Luke that he was his father. Uh, and we all remember that moment and, and seeing that and being impressed by that. Uh, and as a result, that has justified the existence of the first three prequels. Uh, that justified us saying, hey, we'll see prequels number two and three, even though prequel number one with Jar Jar Banks uh, was so god-awful terrible. Um, but we thought, hey, I'll go see it again. And never mind the bad prequels, you know, we'll go see any sequels that come out. <laughs> You know, it tricked, then that sort of thing has tricked us into seeing Ghostbusters 2. That allowed us to see, uh, the Ghostbusters with the girls that remade the, uh, you know, its own sort of Ghostbusters. And, you know, that's going to be what produces a Ghostbusters 3. All a trip down memory lane. All a trip about the good old days when movies were good and awesome. Uh, so we're willing to shell out another 10, 15, 20 bucks or whatever it takes to chase uh, that toxic drug of nostalgia. But it doesn't matter if the second or third or fourth or the prequels, it doesn't matter um, if they don't capture the magic and if they end up being nothing more than photocopies at the end of the day. It doesn't matter if they can't truly capture lightning in a bottle all over again. They don't even need to. Because they know that at the end of the day, as long as they remind you of that first time, as long as they remind you of that good old time that you had once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away, um, well, they'll separate you from your money. Um, and they may show that they are not as magical as they used to be, but they're also proving that they probably, perhaps... Never really were to begin with. Um, and uh, that our memories that we have of these grand and glorious movies um, and these great companies and these, these sequels and these prequels and stuff, that uh, the magic was pretty rare. Um, but we've, you know, because they were so magical, we've blocked out uh, a lot of the, the junk since then. And you know, it's not just the movies that are trying to capitalize off nostalgia. Believe it or not, our politicians like to capitalize <laughs> off nostalgia. I'm thinking of you, Donald Trump. I'm thinking of you, Bernie Sanders. Donald Trump wants to make America great again. And Bernie Sanders wants to take us back to the good old days when, you know, supposedly America was just this golden land of... Uh, gushing with milk and honey and if there was nothing terrible happening you know both of these guys on the left and both of these guys on the right they they want to take us back to this mythical time in american history they never quite truly define what that 
that time is because if because if they did they would they would break your heart <laughs> and make you realize that those times uh they did never existed to begin with um and but if if we were to stop and see what uh the movies are doing or what our politicians are doing um you know we would see it's also the same sort of thing that happens you know in the church we we see this thing uh, when we talk about uh, the early church, you know, back in the book of Acts, when they were of one mind and one accord and, you know, tongues of fire and miracles and and great church growth and expansion. Or, you know, the, the, the first century and the second century and the early church fathers and all the martyrs and, you know, and all the great uh, theologians and thinkers and creeds and traditions and, and things that arised over the years The we think about Maybe if you're a Protestant, you think of the, the Protestant Reformation, or if you're evangelical, you think of the Great Awakening, or if you're Pentecostal like I, like I am in my background, you think the, of the foundations of the Pentecostal movement when everybody was getting together and speaking in tongues, and, and we, we met in barns and in living rooms and uh, wherever we could meet, uh, so long as there was fire. Uh, and so long as people were speaking in tongues, and so long as people uh, were praising Jesus as hard as they could, uh, you know, we, we sit there and think about those times, um, and we we fall into this this constant trap, though, of of treating those historical times, though, in the same way that we do a Disney movie or some other movie. We we ultimately turn these times into myths. And legends. Um, let me just tell you something about my understanding of the past, about these good old days um, when things were their best, when things were pure, when things were innocent. We may love these myths, we may love these legends, we may love these these nostalgic times that we've built up in our mind. But I'm here to tell you something: the good old days. They never existed. Things, if you truly look back, were never as good as we have imagined them, either individually or collectively. And, you know, this is true not only of, you know, the great things that we read about in history or the great move moments of cinematic history or of our political parties and affiliations, um, you know, but it's also true of our own lives, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I think about those times when I was 10 to 12 years old and, and, you know, had these great friends and stuff like that. But I also think, Hey, you know, there was a lot of pain back in those days because, well, you know, my neighborhood friends, they, they eventually moved away. And, you know, even during those times, you know, there were times where I was frustrated at my childhood friends times when I didn't even know that I wanted them to be my friend anymore. You know, things like that. Uh, when I think about that period of my time, I think about how what a <laughs> colossal dork I was. Uh, you know, I was one of those kids that uh, everybody kind of picked on. And, and, you know, maybe rightfully so. I had gigantic Harry Carey style glasses. I would wear shorts and then I would wear socks jacked up to my knees and those socks had stripes on them and i was doing this 
20 and 30 years before it was cool to do such things like it is now. I like to joke that I was really fashion forward back in those days. And, you know, what you see the kids doing today with the socks jacked up into their knees and their shorts, uh, you know, wearing shorts and wearing sandals or whatever combination of weird stuff they do. All the things that I used to do back then are kind of cool today, apparently. But, uh, well, guess what? Uh, when I was back in those days, uh, you know, kids made fun of me for dressing that way. And it made going to school very hard. So sometimes I would fake being sick so I could just stay home and not have to deal with the, the junk I was dealing with at school as a 10 or 12 year old. And it didn't help that, of course, my last name was and is Humphrey. And well, you know, when you're kind of in that prepubescent puberty kind of, kind of period in your life, well, you know, if you have the last name Humphrey and your first name is Jimmy, well, you can imagine the kind of things kids might start drawing conclusions about uh, with that sort of first and last name uh, combination. <laughs> Um, so, you know, as great as those good old days were, as much fun as I had playing with my neighborhood friends and playing baseball, well, guess what? As much fun as I had playing baseball, I really stunk at baseball. <laughs> and eventually, I would get cut from the team, and that would devastate me, you know? I, I ended up finding another sport. I ended up finding hockey and turned out I was pretty good at hockey for the most part. I had several good years of playing uh, hockey uh, in my teenage years. But that 10 to 12 year old golden time in my period, those nostalgic times that I remember, you know, as, as great as those days were, they were also filled with lots of embarrassment and lots of pain and things that I would rather not think about. And they're often things I don't think about anymore because I just, you know, remember the, the sentimental good time feelings and, and I really almost have to kind of dig deep uh, to find that sort of stuff. Um, and, you know, but, you know, just as it is with us, we see it with the movies, we see it with Disney, we see it with the bad movies they've made over the years. And believe me, Disney, for all the great movies they've made, they've made some pretty terrible ones too. <laughs> uh, some of them go straight to video, even, or DVD, or, you know, Netflix. Or, well, no, not Netflix anymore. Disney's coming out with its own subscription service. But, you know, you get my point, right? And, you know, we see it with, with our politicians. Donald Trump can promise us about the good old days and make us think that's a great reason to, uh, you know... Um, vote for him again. You know, he can bring us back to Ronald Reagan type times. Well, you know, even Ronald Reagan, <laughs> if you get back to it, we, we gloss over these things now because, uh, there's such a myth built around Ronald Reagan. And don't get me wrong, I think, you know, guys like Ronald Reagan were pretty good presidents. Um, but if we were to say, hey, the, the, the great conservative, uh, Ronald Reagan. Well, you know, sometimes Ronald Reagan wasn't so conservative when you actually examine his record. Like that time he made three million or whatever it is, uh, illegal aliens. All of a sudden he declared amnesty for all of them. Um, and you can think of that time where, you know, he decided, Hey, uh, we need to, uh, you know, tell fire all, fire all the uh, airline employees who are on strike because, you know, government should should never interfere with private enterprise, right? 
Uh, oh, but you know, it was okay back then that that he did it. We 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 gloss over uh, things like that when when our heroes weren't exactly the heroes that we now imagine them uh, to be. And you can see this all the time with with presidents and other great leaders through history. We, we remember all the great times uh, and all the things that, you know, they build monuments to these guys for. But, you know, when it comes to the inconsistencies, when it comes to the gross errors, uh, we all kind of just sweep it under a rug. You know, and I would be so bold as to predict right now that, uh, you know, as it's happened with uh, President Trump, unless something truly scandalous should happen that should ever cause him to be removed from office, I'm willing to bet in 20, 30, 40 years, you know, things, people will look back and think, hey, he was a, he was a great president. Uh, oh, oh, of course, some people think he's a great president now. I'm, I don't count myself as among them. Um, but, you know, maybe 20, 30, 40 years, uh, you know, when we've long forgotten uh, about what it was like to um, have the craziness of uh, the Trump presidency and all the, the stuff that was happening, you know, we'll probably sweep a lot of uh, these things under the rug and we'll just say, hey, you know, we remember President Trump. He, he, uh, cut some taxes and he uh, made the border a little more secure and uh, you know stock market was great during his time so he was a great president you know and, and of course maybe you believe he's a great president now I'm really not getting into debating <laughs> you know the record of Donald Trump we could say the same of Bill Clinton Obama uh, both Bushes or or you know whoever whoever you want to talk about so please don't Please don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to get into some sort of Trump thing, even though I, I guess I kind of went there. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, all I'm saying is that, you know, when it comes to these things, we gladly gloss over uh, the past problems that people have had. Um, and, you know, we do this with the church, too. Uh, we, we talk about the good old days of the early church. And if we could just go back to the good old days of when the apostles were in charge, well, you know, even when the apostles were running things, there was still a lot of problems. People were cheating on their finances. People were cheating on their spouses. People were uh, doing bizarre things in the church. People were, you know, denying the faith. People were inventing crazy heresies. There were factions. There were divisions. There were, you know, a lot of not-so-good times. Uh, when you actually get into the nitty gritty of, of the New Testament and, and yeah, don't get me wrong, there were some fantastic times. And that's why it's so easy, uh, to remember those, those days with such longing and such sentimentalities because there was a lot of truth in that, uh, and, and bright spots in, in our history. Uh, but we gloss over, uh, a lot of the things that, well, were less than imp impressive. Uh, and you know, we do that with the Protestant Reformation. We do that with the church fathers. Um, you know, some of the church fathers, if you were to judge them by the creeds that came after them, you would find out some of the early church fathers would be classified as heretics under today's, uh, theological creeds. 
Um, you look at the Protestant Reformation, you find out, hey, you know, all these great things Martin Luther did. Well, you know, there are also some pretty scuzzy things Martin Luther did. And, you know, for all the great awakening of Jonathan Edwards and all those guys, well, as great as that time was and, and, and the great revivals that spread over America, well, guess what? Jonathan Edwards owned slaves and viciously defended uh, slavery. In fact, he even wrote some of his sermons on the back of the bills of sale from uh, the slaves that he owned. So, and you know, we see this, you know, Pentecostal movement too. We think about all these great and powerful charismatic leaders who set the world on fire, but you know, we, we, turn a uh, complete eye to you know blind eye to Amy Simple McPherson and her uh, adultery <laughs> and divorce um, and uh, you know just if you were to actually read the the writings of some of the early Pentecostals you know coming out of Azusa Street and some of the prophecies that some of them were making in the uh, Azusa Street letter uh, that was being published by William Seymour and all these guys, you would find some pretty embarrassing things that they all said, uh, allegedly while uh, full of the Spirit of God and saying prophetic things or saying things in tongues and interpreting in tongues and writing those things down for all the world to hear. And well, you know, and not to sit here and bash these guys, you know, I could say the same of me. <laughs> I could point to my early Christian days and the things I believed or didn't believe yet and, uh, and some of the attitudes of, uh, I had at some points in my life, things I believed about myself that, you know, turned out to maybe not be so true after all. Um, you know, I could point to some awesome times though, um, and talk about all these great things I did in Bible college and helping the homeless and doing street preaching and helping reach people for Jesus. But, you know, I, I would, you know, fail to mention some of the other things that, well, you know, I'm just going to spare you the details about because, well, I don't think it's, you need to know them. <laughs> right now. I just want you to think of me as good after all, right? <laughs> and that's what we do. We love the myth. We love the legend. We love the good old days. But guess what? The good old days, they never existed. And I'm convinced more than ever that for all the great lessons we can learn from history and all the things we can reflect on back in the past and capture as good and wonderful and pure and awesome and wholesome, you know, we need to hold on to those things. We need to remember them. We need to own them. Uh, we need to let them to continue to shape our identities. But you know what? We can't let those good old days become anchors that hold us back from moving forward. Um, instead of being people who simply pine after the good old days of, of the great revivals of old and, and all these sort of things, um, we need to be a people who desperately cling to hope. And we need to allow that hope to fuel the creation of things that have yet to come and things that will ultimately come to fruition one day uh, because the past as great as it is as wonderful as it is 
It has a lot of things that we just ultimately need to let go of. We need to learn what we can from the past, good, bad, and indifferent. Uh, and we need to allow those things um, to ultimately be something though that we move on from in our hopes of creating something better. Because, you know, for all the myths, you know, it's, it's funny. When you think about the myths that uh, shape our identities um, and who we are as people, you know, we, we think about, or as Americans, for example, we think about uh, the Declaration of Independence. We think of the Founding Fathers. We think of the Revolutionary War. We think of Abraham Lincoln. We think of the Emancipation, Emancipation Declaration. We think of, you know, Apollo 50 and putting a man on the, you know, or Apollo 11 and putting a man on the moon, rather. We, we think of all these things, um, but sometimes those things end up just weighing us down and we just become, <laughs> you know, at worst, a bunch of old buzzards who sit there and talk about when things were great. Um, and then as a result, we end up never doing anything truly remarkable in the future. Um, but you know the, about that past? We don't remember what came before it. Like uh, Ron Swanson has said uh, in the, the TV show Parks and Rec, uh, 1776 was the first day of history and nothing that came before it matters. <laughs> uh, so if July 4th, 1776 was the first day of history, you know, nothing came before. Well, actually, in truth, things came before it, but you know, a lot of things came before it. But what came out of it, uh, those things that came before it, is something that truly uh, changed the world. And I think if we were to be the type of people who were like our forefathers, who, who changed the world, <laughs> um, we would be individuals who constantly hoped and yearned for something that was better than anything that had ever preceded us up to that time. Because in 1776, they could have been like, well, in the great days of the King of England, of King whoever, you know, I'm, I'm an American. I can't even name any great kings uh, of English monarchy history because, you know, our forefathers made it impossible for me to think of any of the great kings of England. Uh, I don't even know when England came into existence uh, and, you know, maybe some of that's a shame to me because I've forgotten some history lesson I read a number of years ago. But in truth, it's, it shows the power of nostalgia and the power of, of these things to become myths that even though I know there was a hit, a day in history before July 4th, 1776, uh, when it came to America and, uh, England and France and Spain and Germany and all those nations before it. You know, that time in history for, for us collectively as a people doesn't mean a too whole heck of a lot. Uh, in fact, I would say because of the power of myth, because of the power of legend, because of the power of nostalgia, you know, I sooner identify with Mel Gibson's, um, <laughs> Braveheart and William Wallace. Uh, before I do uh, anything after uh, that time in uh, Scottish history uh, and English history. 
Uh, it's kind of a, a parenthetical period of time <laughs> and, and the, the history of the world as far as that nostalgia type of stuff goes. Uh, so it only shows you, though, how powerful nostalgia can be. Um, and the, the myths and the legends of that that we create, how powerful they can be, that they can make us almost completely draw blanks when it comes to our national, personal, collective uh, identities. That I don't identify with much of anything that happened before July 4th, 1776, except some other random events in history and some maybe people I randomly know about. But collectively as a people... As Americans, <laughs> you know, we don't really think of too much. We might be like, oh, the Gutenberg Press, or, oh, uh, Michelangelo was a great artist, or, hey, the Sistine Chapel's pretty cool, or, hey, what about uh, Caesar? He, Caesar was pretty awesome, right? Or, uh, you know, somebody along those lines. But those things are, those longings, those memories, those sentimentalities, I think for some of us, they ultimately hold us back. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a person that's held back. I want to be somebody who is pregnant with hope <laughs> at all times uh, regarding uh, my future, not only as an individual and the things I want to accomplish and, and my life and the, the years that the Lord gives me. Um, but, you know, I want to dream things for for. My family, I want to dream things for my nation and uh, the world at large. I want to dream things for my church, the kingdom of God. Uh, you know, I want to be a person who is living in expectation of the things yet to come instead of constantly yearning for the things in the past as great as those things may at times have been. So anyway, everybody, that's today's episode of Jimmy's Table Podcast. Jimmy at Jimmy'sTable.com. If you want to shoot me a line by email, feel free to do so. Subscribe to this show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, the website itself, Jimmy'sTable.com. Reach out on Facebook. Follow me on Facebook. You can find the link uh, at the Jimmy'sTable.com website um, to my Facebook page. You can look me up at Twitter. Uh, this was episode 17, where I talked about how the good old days were pretty much a lie. <laughs> so I hope to hear from you. I hope I've given you something to think about. And beyond that, I hope I have uh, helped you uh, maybe move forward in your life. Because uh, I feel like maybe some of you, whoever you are, somebody listening to this show, you might be kind of stuck and you might be stuck in a rut because you're thinking about the things that no longer are in terms that were probably never true to begin with. So everybody, this is Jimmy, Jimmy'sTable.com, episode 17. Take care, God bless, and uh, hope to uh, come at you again soon. Take care. <laughs>